0: Okay, for the third time, we are going to Proverbs chapter 2. We are talking about the topic of fitness of the heart and receiving God's wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. This was something that was shared to me when I was a brand new believer and it just kind of rocked my world. It just kind of opened up my eyes to certain things in regards to my personal relationship with the Lord and through his word. And so I'm just simply sharing what was shared with me. I'm adding a little bit uh, more to it because of things that I've discovered in my own personal study and my own experience with uh, with uh you know my relationship with God through his word and in the spirit. And um you know the, what we've looked at so far is so there are certain things that need to be established. One, it starts off my son. So the first thing, of course, is are you his son? Are you indeed a born again spirit and uh, dwelt sealed filled believer? Because if you're not then the things of God are not really going to do you any good. You're not going to comprehend what's going on here. You're not going to be able to relate to it. So you have to be a member of the family. So are you indeed a member of the family? That's got to be established first. The second is is what is my judgment on God's word? You know, what is my judgment on God's word? Is it my authority? Is it my guide? Is it the book that I go to? Is it his word that I go to as far as the issues of my heart and the the affairs of life and so forth and so on? And, And do I look at it as my authority? Do I look at it as my authority? The third thing we looked at last week is, am I storing this away in the script and the purse of my heart to sustain me through this life? And am I, am I looking to it as my as my defense, my weapon against the assault of the enemy upon my soul? So am I storing God's word in my heart? Am I hiding it away in my heart? To uh, nourish me in this walk and and help me to uh, fight against the wiles of the devil and the temptations and the things that I face in life. Now the fourth thing that we're going to look at here is right here in uh, verse 2. And I'm going to read Proverbs uh, 2, 2, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into what this uh, verse is talking about. He says, I'll just uh, put it in context. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. That's our next two uh, things that we're going to look at. So, Father in heaven, we come to you now, Lord God. And quite frankly, Lord, we are dependent solely upon you. It is your word. We are your people and this is our authority our guide in life and so father we are coming to you and we're praying for your assistance for your help uh, help us O oh Lord God to see your wisdom and your knowledge so that we might understand how we might walk in this world this uh, this evil world that is constantly assaulting our souls so father in heaven please 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 open our eyes to what you would have for us today and we look to you and we thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So, I, um, when I, I, in my margin of my Bible, I put uh, prick up the ears in order to get closer to hear. That's what I put. That's what it means by inclining my ear to hear uh, God's word. So when you think of an incline, what do you think of? Yeah, you think of a slope or, or, you know, an an ascent. When we used to go down, when we'd go down and see my dad in Louisiana years ago, we had to travel through the middle of Arkansas on some of those twisty mountainous roads. And along some of the places uh, of that road... Uh, The uh, state of Arkansas had built these huge gravel inclines in case the brakes of a truck would fail or something and so the truck driver would be able to drive into these gravel inclines and bring the truck to a stop. Uh, for the truck driver's safety and for the and and the and the and the, you know other travelers on the road safety, when uh, we would go and do endurance um, and Heather would uh, get us all exercised up, we would walk from the armory down across the parking lot, take a right, and go up over that bridge that goes over Forty Nine Highway. And uh, let me tell you something: that incline on that bridge is uh, steeper than you might think it is. Especially when you're you know, a 60-some year old, out of shape, you know, overweight man, uh, getting at the top of that hill was, was uh, quite, a, quite, a, um, quite an exercise on my, on my part, you know? My favorite part of that bridge was on the other side when you started going downhill, it was a little easier. But um, why do you think going up the hill was better for me than going down the hill? Yeah, it was exercise. It exercised my body and it also exercised my mind as I sat there and told myself, just a little further, just a little further, you know? So yeah, it, it, it was an exercise. It was a sec- and I say I use these two illustrations because um, to incline one's ear uh, to hear the word of God requires effort on our part. It really does. If you stop and think about it, it requires effort on our part. When this young man is in, was exhorted to incline his ear onto the wisdom that is found in God's word, the young man knew, uh, the father knew, that this young man would encounter resistance to that. And there is resistance when it comes to the part of inclining one's ear to hear wisdom. You know, the psalmist, he recognized this very same thing. Uh, He recognized this very same thing, and so he prayed to the only one who could help him get up that incline. He prayed and and I wrote it down here, he prayed in Psalms 119, 35 through 37. He says, He says, Make me to go in the path of thy commandments, for therein do I delight. He says, Incline my heart unto thy testimonies and not to covetousness. Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity, and quicken thou me in the way. Notice what the, the psalmist is praying, he's seeing, he's saying, Make me, incline my heart, turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity. He knew he needed help. He knew that he was going to meet with resistance. He knew he needed help. You know, when uh, one of the goals of the endurance ministry was that uh, he, she would, pre- uh, Luke and Heather would prepare us uh, f- to walk a couple of five Ks. There were a couple of charity five Ks that we would support. Uh, one of them is the Grayland five K uh, that we do out at Shawnee Mission Park and uh, I think at uh, Shawnee Mission Park they do it right because uh, they have certain little stations, little rest stations, uh, in some of the more difficult uh, places along the course, and it's a beautiful park, it's a beautiful course, but there's a lot of deep hills and stuff that you've got to climb on. Wherever these places were they always had people there to cheer us on, you know keep going, you're almost there, you're at the the 2K mark, you're at the 3K mark, keep going, keep going. And so they would would encourage us along the way, especially in those difficult uh, parts of the course. There's always going to be resistance in our walk on this world. as, As we're walking with the Lord, there's always going to be resistance. There's always going to be hard times. There's always going to be things that's going to try to get you to quit try to get you to stop try to get you to turn around go the other way Uh, there's always going to be those things that are going to make things hard going for us Uh, sometimes it'll be our own family that will make it hard on us sometimes it'll be our job that'll make it hard on us sometimes it'll be our health whatever it is let me tell you something God is pulling for us you understand that? God is pulling for us. God is wanting us to endure. God is wanting us to persevere. And he's pulling for us. He's pulling for us all the time. And that's the time where you need to incline your ear to hear God's pulling for you. I've got passages that I go to, and I've listed some of those passages down, like Philippians 3, 13 through 14. He says, Brethren, I count not myself to apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things Are behind and reaching forth unto those things which before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You know, some of us we allow our past to become like a millstone around our necks, like a chain, a ball and chain around our feet and chains on our hands, and we're prisoners of our past. Paul is saying, cast those things away and press toward the mark. That's my temperament. You know, I wear these millstones around my neck about past failure and this and that and what somebody said You know, get rid of those things cast those things aside and press toward the prize of the high calling in Christ another favorite is Philippians 4.13 where it says I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me it's not my strength it's Christ's strength. It, you know, he, he is there. He promises that his yoke is easy to bear and he's there to bear it with you. He's right there with you uh, bearing that yoke. Uh, another one is found in Psalms 37. Turn to Psalms 37. I want you to look at this. I don't know if you've ever read this psalm before. Maybe if you had, maybe you forgot some of this stuff. But look at Psalms chapter 37 and verse 3. Psalm 37, verse 3, he says, He says, "...trust in the Lord and do good, endure. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart." Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth thy righteousness as a light, and thy judgment as the new day. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth evil, uh, wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger, and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil, for evildoers shall be cut off. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. You know, we live in a wicked time. We live in a time that's very oppressive. We're, we're living in a time that is contrary to God's word. And you can allow it to get you know get you all depressed and bummed out and you know, you want to storm Washington, D.C. with pitchforks and stuff. It's not going to work, guys. It's not going to work. But God's in charge. God's in control. And one of these days, this mess is going to be straightened up. But in the meantime, we need to persevere. We need to endure we need to remain to be faithful witnesses and testimonies to the grace of God in our life. Another one is Psalm 37, 23-28, the very same psalm. He says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not utterly be cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. David says, I have been young, and now I am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful, and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. Depart from evil, and do good, and dwell forevermore for the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints, they are preserved forever but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off, Jesus said I will never leave thee nor forsake thee do you believe that because he won't sometimes I think we forget, sometimes we allow our circumstances and our situations and our dire consequences we forget that that's when we need to lean in to God's word lean into God's word for our strength, for our encouragement to persevere, to endure these are passages that I go to and there's several others but these are passages that I go to when I need to lean into God's word to hear my father's encouraging words to me that yes I am with you in this all the way to the end he is he is Something else the psalmist mentions in Psalms 119. Instead of leaning towards covetousness, he wants to lean towards God's testimonies, toward God's word. There's a lot of distractions in this life. There's a lot of distraction in this life designed to lure our eyes of what, off of what is important, to redirect our focus on what is trivial and temporal. And as far as eternity is, eternity is concerned, means nothing in our Christian walk. But it's there all the time. The deadlines, the bills, the, this and that's always seeking to lure us away, lead us into a different direction. Be aware of these things. Be aware of these things. Sadly, for some people, they simply do not have an ear for God's word. They don't. They don't have an ear for God's word. They hear it, but they don't heed it. They want to be entertained, they want to be told stories, they want their egos massaged or their needs uh, met or their feelings met. Often there are some folks, God's people, who are motivated more by self-interests rather than God's interests. Some of God's people are similar to the Athenians that Paul preached to in Acts seventeen twenty one, that spend their time in nothing else but to tell or hear something new. You know, that's what they—that's what they want to hear. They want to hear the the feel good stuff. They want the juicy stuff about the end times. You know they—they they, whatever tickles their fancy. They don't want to hear strong Bible teaching and preaching that will. Prick their hearts under repentance or, or uh, have them face something about themselves that's not Christ-like and they, need to, and they need to correct. They don't want to hear that kind of stuff. That makes me feel uncomfortable, guilty. You know, I don't like hearing that kind of stuff. You know, Paul warned about our time when he said in 2 Corinthians 4.3 for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but after their own lusts shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned on to fables lust, covetousness they covet the stuff that makes them feel good but they don't want to hear the meat they don't want to hear the meat Some folks have ears that need to be scratched. They want to hear something pleasant, something new, something that makes them feel good about themselves. You know, years ago, a woman on the job site wanted me to recommend a good Bible teacher on the radio as she went home after work. I said, Well, there's a man called J. Vernon McGee, he's an old timey preacher. He's on the radio. He's, he's pretty good. You might want to try, check him out. Well, the next day at work, I had an opportunity to see her, and I asked her. I said, "Would you, would you think about uh, McGee? Did you listen to him?" And she says, "Yeah, I I listened to him, but um, I didn't like him." I said, "Well, how come?" She says, "Well." He preached dry old Bible doctrine. What I'm looking for, yeah. What I'm looking for is is something get me excited in the spirit. And besides that, I just couldn't get over his voice. If you ever listen to McGee, he's got a gravelly, you know, Southern voice. Well, being the young knucklehead that I was, I asked her at the time. I said, "Well, exactly." Um, What spirit are you wanting to get excited? Are you wanting uh, the spirit of your carnality uh, to be excited? Or that of God's? And uh, I told her God's spirit gets excited when God's people hear God's truth and apply it rather than seeking to be entertained by it. Well, I didn't win a fan that day. But that's the way people are. Yes, ma'am. I can say I had the same experience with him. When I thought that I was a Christian, I couldn't stand that man. Yeah. I could go back and say, for sure I was safe. Yeah. I stand that man. Yeah. 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 Exactly, because he he teaches truth, and if you're a child of God, that's what you want to hear. That's what you want to incline to. You want to incline to the truth. You want to hear that truth because you know that truth fills your heart. It it, it ministers to your soul. It ministers to your soul. Remember the question I asked, the second one? What is my judgment of God's word? Right? Not your opinion. What is your judgment of God's word? Is it my authority? Is it it my go-to source for wisdom and understanding and knowledge in this world? Is it? That's a question that's got to be settled. That's a question that's got to be settled. Or, you know, would we rather go down the easy side of the hill? You know, the the, the side of less resistance, the side that appeals to our sensual nature, more so our new nature. Unfortunately, this is where a lot of God's people are at in his book The Holy War which is an, an analogy on the fall of man John Bunyan the same one who wrote Pilgrim's Progress he also wrote this he wrote about a character named Diablo coming to the ear gate of the town of Mansoul and the guard over the ear gate of Mansoul was a certain man by the name of Captain Resistance and he was the guard of the gate. Well Diablo shows up at the ear gate of Mansoul and he proclaims, Gentlemen, I am to tell you the truth, come to show you how you may obtain great and ample deliverance from a bondage that unawares to yourselves you are captivated and enslaved under. At this the town of Mansoul began to prick up its ears. Right? And then this character Diablo starts to presents his reasons to the inhabitants of Mansoul that were nothing more than slanderous lives of the Lord of the city, which of course was the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of Diablo's henchmen shot an arrow at Captain's resistance and killed him. And then when Mansoul became vulnerable to the lies of of Diablo, and that's when they opened up the gates and let him in. What John Bunyan wrote about in analogy occurs daily and tragically in the lives of countless of God's people. I'm not talking about the lost people, I'm talking about you and me. You and me. Instead of inclining our ears unto wisdom that ori- originates from the above, instead of leaning in to hear what God has to say, We get pulled away with all this other rhetoric going on. Whether it's political or even religious or whatever. There's a very strong draw that pulls us away from that wisdom that's from above. And as far as churches are concerned, there's so many different gospels out there right now. That people are listening to that are not biblical but yet there are thousands upon thousands of people flocking to this stuff see many of us desire to be spiritual but that doesn't necessarily mean it's biblical there is a difference many are confident and satisfied with their spirituality yet they do not want to lean into God's word and grow in their knowledge of of God they're content and they'd rather have their itching ears filled with things that are pleasant to hear they talk about spiritual stuff they believe in spiritual stuff they sing spiritual songs there's a soapbox for me A lot of stuff that's being sung out there on the radio, folks, may sound spiritual, but let me tell you something. It's not biblical. But yet Christianity today is sucking it down like it's great Kool-Aid. I'll get off that soapbox. A lot of Christians today, they're, they're all spiritual all right. But they're like dry leaves being blown about with every wind of doctrine. Because they're not established in the word. They're not established in the word. They've got itching ears that need to be filled. Another facet to this inclining to the ear is seen in the case of uh, King Saul. Turn to 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15. Of course, Saul was the first king. He was he was uh, Israel's choice for king. It started out okay. He did. He started out okay, but something went amiss in this man's life. First Samuel 15:1. Samuel also said unto Saul, "The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people of it, over Israel." Look what he says here. Now, therefore, hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. The word hearken is the very same word incline in Proverbs 2 2. Very same word. And he was to incline his ear to the voice of the words of the Lord. All right? Look down here in verse 18. And the Lord sent thee on a journey, and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore, then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said unto the Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amaleks. I am spiritual, even though I'm not entirely biblical. But the people took of the spoil sheep and ox and the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice on the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken and the fat of lambs, uh, the fat of rams. Again, hearken and incline the same word. Saul heard the command given to him by Samuel. He heard it. He knew what God had said to him through Samuel. He heard it, he knew it, he understood it. But he failed to incline or hearken his heart. He failed to heed unto that word. He heard the words of wisdom, but failed to obey them. Failed to submit to them. Failed to keep them. And so he lost the kingdom. Psalms 119, 112 says, I have inclined my heart to perform thy statues always, even unto the end. Saul's issue is the same issue that many of us wrestle with in the matter of the heart. It's not that Saul misunderstood what Samuel had told him. It was a heart issue with Saul that brought about his fall. He simply did not judge God's word as his authority. And so he adopted the attitude of I'll take it or leave it. I'll take it or leave it. He compromised. He believed that it was open to personal interpretation. I think we've all been there. It applies to... But not me. I've been there. Saul's motivation was not a love for God... There's was more a self-centered concern about his place among the people. That's what he was worried about. Like many of God's people today, it was Saul's self-interest that overruled his submission, his obedience, his heeding God's word, and so he compromised. He compromised for personal reasons. Personal reasons. Turn to Second Chronicles 24. 2 Chronicles 24. The same kind of hard attitude was also true of Judah. In the last days of the kingdom, they're in Jerusalem. Uh, Psalms 24, they wouldn't uh, give ear to God's prophets. God's prophets came because God loved his people. God's prophets came to call them to repentance, calling them to turn back to God. You know, don't go down this pathway of destruction, Israel. Don't go down this pathway, Jerusalem. Come back to God. Second Chronicles twenty four seventeen. Now after the death of Jehoiada came the princes of Judah made obeisance to the king then the king hearkened unto them and they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served groves and idols and wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for their trespass yet he, God, sent prophets to them to bring them again unto the Lord look what it says here And they testified against him, but they would not give ear. They would not give ear. They would not incline their ear. Instead of inclining their ear to hear God's word, they went the other direction. They went the other direction. When Stephen spoke to the Jews, back in the book of Acts, in Acts 7.54, it says, "...when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart." and they gnashed him with their teeth the word of God was having an effect on them but he being full of the Holy Ghost looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said behold I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God and then verse 7 of Acts chapter 7 then they cried out with a loud voice stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord casting him out of the city and there they stoned him They stopped their ears. They placed their hands over their ears. I can't remember which of our kids it was, but we were... They were in trouble. And they did this. Wrong thing to do. But God's people do it all the time to their father. They stop their ears. They... They may not literally put their fingers in their ears, but have you ever talked to someone trying to encourage them or counsel them? And you can see it in their face as they shut down. What are they doing? They're stopping their ears. They're stopping their ears. There's a danger, folks. If you don't incline toward the word of God, there's only another direction to go. And there's a danger, there is a risk when you decline from God's wisdom. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah was a prophet who was sent to a stiff-necked people who were rebellious in their heart, who were resistant to what God was trying to warn them of, trying to call them back. And you can see a digression among God's people as they progressively declined from God's Word. In Jeremiah 6.10 He says, To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised and they cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. They have no delight in it. It says their ears were uncircumcised. There was a Spiritual, fleshly foreskin covering their ears. I mean, not an actual. That'd be kind of gross. But spiritually, yeah, yeah, exactly. A bad visual. I would say something, but that's not polite. But anyway, uh, there is a spiritual foreskin over their ears. You know, this fleshly, fleshly force. They didn't want to hear the sound doctrine. They didn't want to hear the repentance. They didn't want to hear something that went contrary to their false narratives. Right? That exposed their hypocrisy. That made them feel bad about themselves. They knew they were in the wrong. But they didn't like to be told about it. They didn't like to be told about it. Many Christians are just like this today they may have been circumcised with that circumcision made without hands according to Colossians 2.11 but sadly there are some folks who have uncircumcised ears they're double hearted toward God's word as their authority so their ears are uncircumcised to to not hear I love Jesus but I really liked the world a lot better They want to hear the good stuff. Stuff that strokes the ego, the praise music that pleases emotionally, but please, I don't want to hear anything about anything about mortifying my flesh because I have to live for Jesus and yeah, yeah, yeah. Circumcised uncircumcised ears. Look at verse 17 of Jeremiah. Also I set watchmen over you saying hearken to the sound of the trumpet but they said we will not hearken because of their uncircumcised ears because of their attitude through the words of God they didn't want to hear the warnings. They didn't want to heed the warnings. God sent to Jeremiah to warn the people of his day that if they failed to repent, then they would be taken into captivity. They would be judged. God would be forced, because of their disobedience and rebellion, to do the just thing. See, Jeremiah wasn't there to be a meanie. He was there because God loved his people. He was trying to warn his people, turn, turn! Turn! why would you love death when I'm offering you life but they didn't want it instead they ignored the warning they persisted in their path of rebellion and apostasy and idolatry that's the spirit of the Laodicean age folks That's the hard attitude of the Laodicean age that we live in today. That's the environment spiritually that we live in today, whether you realize it or not. And that's the sad thing about it because the majority of God's people don't realize the environment we live in. You know the old analogy, if you put a frog in a pot, you slowly turn the water up, the frog acclimates itself to that temperature until it goes belly up. That's the way a lot of Christian people live their lives. They go belly up and not even realize why. They mistakenly believe that God must be blessing me because of all of my material wealth. Not realizing that they're spiritually bankrupt. They don't realize the dire state that they live in in this lukewarm spiritual environment of this Laodicean age. And they have this attitude of, I can take it or leave it about the things of God. Unless it excites me or personally profits me or entertains me or isn't overly inconvenient for me. Then I'll listen. Then I'll listen. They have fleshly ears that like to be tickled, they ignore the clear warnings of impending judgment. Like Jeremiah's day, those people, you know, they didn't want to hear that. They didn't want to hear that. They didn't want to incline their ears to God's word. You know, water becomes lukewarm. It doesn't matter if you've got a glass of ice cold water, or you've got a steaming cup of hot water. If you put it in a room like this, 72 degrees or whatever, what happens to that water? Eventually, it takes on the temperature of the environment. Beloved, we do not want to take on the temperature of this environment we live in. You understand? Jesus says, I'd rather you be cold or hot. Right? We don't want to take on the temperature of this environment. If you decline away from God's word, you start listening to the wrong stuff, you start heeding the wrong stuff, that's exactly what you're going to do. And guys, I'm not talking about the secular political that's out there. I'm talking about the spiritual garbage that's out there. That's what I'm talking about. It's an attitude of heart that takes place in the heart of God's people when they begin to draw away, decline away from the wisdom that's from above. And they take on the temperature of the Laodicean age. And we don't want that. And that's something we have to battle all the time. Something we have to battle all the time. And then there's a last stage here in Jeremiah 18, 18. In this declension away from God's word. I don't even know if that's a correct term. Huh? Sounds good. Okay. I'll stick with it then. When it no longer becomes sweet to you when God's word starts to become bitter that should be a warning sign to you Jeremiah eighteen eighteen said then said they come and let us devise devices against Jeremiah for the law shall not perish from the priest nor counsel from the wise that's their priest, their counsel, their wisdom nor the word from the prophet come and let us smite him with the tongue and let us not give heed to any of his words You see, Christians today prefer their own brand of religion, and their own brand of preachers, and their own brand of doctrine. The princes of the people of Jeremiah's day shot to shut down Jeremiah, silence Jeremiah, There are religious leaderships out there doing the very same thing, trying to shut down folks who are preaching the truth. It's true. It's there. You know, our church rightly holds that the KJV 1611 is God's word to the English speaking people. We've given our, if you guys have paid attention to this, we've given our reasons for it solid, sound reasons for it. Let me give you a little history, so you can kind of tell, kind of see where, why we are where we are. Since its uh, completion, King James Version with uh, te- Texas or Received Text, there's been opposition to the KJV Bible from Rome since it was conceived, since it was put together. But the real attack came in 1870s. Um, from uh, two Anglican believers, which is essentially one step away from Rome, really, if you know anything about it, Uh, a couple of fellows by the name of Westcott and Hort. I don't know if you've ever heard of these guys. Well, Westcott was an Anglican bishop. He was a spiritual advisor to the king. Hort, he was a professor at Cambridge University. So there's some pretty high credentials right there. Uh, But they decided, without any real reason, and even failed to tell anybody about what they were doing. So this was a secret deal going on between these two men. Unlike with the KJV translators, which was very open for examination. But these guys secretly took it upon themselves to take corrupt manuscripts and rewrite the Bible. And these guys knew there was problems with these manuscripts they were using. In fact, they said our belief that even among the numerous, unquestionably spurious readings of the New Testament of these older manuscripts, this was their opinion. They had no proof on this. There are no signs of deliberate falsification of the text for dogmatic purposes. That's an outright lie. Because there were intentional changes made. In other words, these men were saying, hey, we recognize that there are serious concerns regarding these faulty manuscripts, but we're going to use them anyway to write this new Bible of ours. Revised Standard version. And so these men were the ones who went about to Write a new Bible, and they were the ones that coined. Uh, they were the ones where you hear the oldest manuscripts are the best. That's where it came from. That's not true. That's not true. And so these men purposely set out to replace the KJV and its Texas Recepta sources with their own version based on manuscripts that even the KJV translators rejected and even scholars before the KJV scholars rejected because they knew they were full of errors. And in, in, in short, their theory suggested that for 1,500 years the preserved word of God in the Texas Receptus was lost until it was recovered by these two manuscripts that they use. One of these manuscripts was found by Tischendorf on a trash pile in a monastery and the other one sat on the shelves of the Vatican collecting dusts, until it was rediscovered in the 19th century. So one from a trash heap and one that was neglected and this is what they based their RSV on quite frankly Westcott and Hort were heretics they hated the KJV as God's Word they hated the fact it was founded upon the Texas Receptus and Hort's own mother even disagreed with her son in his translation Hort uh, received a letter from Westcott saying that he totally rejected the idea of infallibility of the Bible. He agreed with S- S- Westcott on this position and repeated this to a fellow by the name of Bishop Lightfoot, who was a big mucky muck in the Anglican church. And when Westcott became Bishop of Durham the Journal of University of Durham praised him because he was free from all verbal and mechanical ideas of inspiration. In other words, he didn't believe in the divine inspiration of God. And he was praised for it. Hort believed that Christ's death on the cross was immoral. Um, he didn't believe in blood atonement. Uh, he, taught, uh, he taught that propitiation was a foreign concept in the New Testament and that salvation was a continual process. You were always a Christian, you just got to be better and better at it. What is that, guys? Works. 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 They believed in baptismal regeneration rather than regen- regeneration by the work of the Holy Spirit as tots in Titus 3.5 and 7 not by works of righteousness which we have done so we don't get better but according to his mercy he saved us praise God by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost they denied that they denied that they even denied the deity of Christ they're intellectuals they could use very clear language but they obscured the language to hide what they were doing from the common man boy where have we seen that lately let's just name it differently Let's cover it up with sem- sem- uh, semantics. I think is the right word. Westcott believed the first three chapters of Genesis was a fairy tale. Hort praised Darwin and, and evolution. Both of these men were involved in the Christian socialist movement, which is nothing short of communism. Hmm. Mm. Can you see a pattern? We're seeing the very same thing in the church today, folks. Where do you think it's coming from? You think it's coming from inclining to God's word, or you think it's coming from the other source? That's where, that's where it's coming from, folks. That's what we're seeing today. But the majority of the Laodicean believer is sitting in that pot, reaching boiling point. Both of these men wanted to reunite with Rome. Both of these men approved Aristotle and and, and Plato. They both hated gospel salvation preaching. The same undermining of the truth goes on today in seminaries and Bible college all over this country see that's why this church makes a stand that it stands we don't want to nurture this kind of mentality this is why we stand hard fast to where we stand this is why we're not popular with certain groups because this church stands on the pon- upon the word of God we have God's word we have God's word in spite of what scholarship is trying to tell you folks we have God's word We have God's word in our grubby little hands much to the chagrin of those who know better for us. Psalms 119.36 it says Incline my heart unto thy testimonies and not to covetousness. Turn away my eyes from beholding vanity. All of that stuff. Psalm 78 Give ear O my people to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. You see, once again, we're faced with the root of the matter. Our heart attitude concerning God's word is key. You have to have a fit heart to receive God's wisdom and knowledge and understanding. This is so important. This is one of the landmarks in life's path that I'm showing you here. Don't miss it. Don't take the exit ramp to something else. Do we desire to be entertained more than edified? Do we want to hear clever and funny stories rather than God's Word? Do we choose a Bible that, yeah, may not be easy to read, for one that may be easier to read, but is not true to the Word? we've become too proud, too busy, too distracted, too disillusioned, too lost, too complacent that we prefer to decline our attention away from the only thing that will give you hope and purpose and direction in this life? Is that where you want to go? Psalms 119.30 says, I have chosen the way of of truth. Thy judgments have I laid before me. I have stuck onto thy testimonies. O Lord, put me not to shame. I will run the way of thy commandments when thou shalt enlarge my heart. I have chosen. Have you made that decision? Have you settled that issue in your heart? Have you laid God's judgment out before you like a road map to navigate your course? Or are you preferring your fleshly GPS system that I guarantee will fail you? I have stuck. You know, there's no exercise or diet program that will prove to be any benefit if you don't stick to the program, right? Right? You have to stick to it. The word stuck means to cling on to, like a vine to a wall, to join together to become one flesh. Are you married to Christ? Yes, you are. Are you unmovable? Is God's word your firm foundation? Is he your rock? Is he your tower? Is he your uh, uh, fortress? Or is it an on again, on again relationship? Yeah. I'll stick to it as long as it appeals to me. As long as you allow me some wiggle room. No. He says, I will run a chosen course to be pursued. This is the way I'm going. I will not be deterred. You know, so many people, so many of God's people run around like chickens without their heads attached. They run here. They run there. They run wherever their tantalized or their ears are tickled by every wind of doctrine, every new Christian sensation that comes across the pop charts. That's where they're going. Do I sound a little upset? I apologize. Passionate. Yeah, there you go. Passionate. It's important stuff. He says, "Enlarge my heart." Running benefits your heart, uh, blood fat level drops, good cholesterol all goes up, regular running reduces the risk of hardening of the arteries, uh, running aids in reduced production of stress, uh, improved blood circulation, uh, lower risk of blood clots, increase the blood volume in your body, it uh, increases your mentality. Uh, helps your organs aids in mental health cognitive development there's a lot of value in exercising in and, and, and running and walking and whatever it is that you do but if you don't incline your ear to God's word and the next point apply it to your heart it's not going to do you any good not going to do you any good it's the inclination of the heart and the application of what one hearkens onto that exercises the heart, and your heart gets bigger for God. And that's what we want. We want a big heart for God. And He is willing to fill that heart up if you incline to His Word. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. I'll close out with this. 1 Peter chapter 2. Incline one heart to God's word. Perk up the ears. 1 Peter 2 verse 1 to 3. (coughs) Excuse me. Peter writes here wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies all evil speakings focus here on verse 2 and 3 as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious according to studies breastfeeding is the most powerful form of interaction between the mother and the infant Uh, Due to uh, the uh, physical closeness between the baby and the mother, studies have proven that the baby's affections for the mother is stronger toward the mother than anyone else in the family because of that intimate connection. Beloved, do you want a strong attachment to God? you want a big heart for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost? Then lean in like a baby to its mother's breast to the word of God. Lean into it. If God's word is no longer sweet to, you ta- sweet to your taste, I can confidently tell you it's not because of God's word. It's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. So are you working on a fit heart to receive God's wisdom, knowledge, and understanding? Well, here's four steps, and there's more to follow. This is one of the signposts of life, folks. You miss this, and you'll end up in the weeds. Amen? Um, Would you close this out in prayer, please, sir? Yes, sir.